You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4, continuing our study through this letter that the Apostle John wrote to the churches of his time. And we know that these letters are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they are written to the church in our time as well. And I've entitled today's message, A Spiritual Test, A Spiritual Test. John has been clear to identify in this letter that there are spiritual forces at work in our lives. Of course, not just John's letter, Jesus would teach the same The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, all the writers of the New Testament make it very clear that although we live in these flesh and bone bodies, there are also spiritual forces at work and there are spiritual realities in our own lives that God is very interested in. Not all are aware of the spiritual realities, but all are affected by spiritual realities, we are specifically aware because Jesus declares that when we come to faith in Christ that we become born again of the Spirit. There's kind of a new reality awakened in our heart. We were dead spiritually, lost and separated from God. But when we came to God and received His mercy and forgiveness, which He made available through His Son, and as we express that faith in Him, We become alive spiritually and our hearts are awakened. Our lives are made aware of spiritual realities and the Holy Spirit, the very spirit and presence of God, the Bible says, takes up residence in our life. Now, look, you're there in chapter four. Just look at the last verse in chapter three. So just kind of, you you see how John's thoughts are moving through in his writing. In 1 John 3, 24, He he writes, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John wants his readers to know, listen, you know that you're with God. You know that you're walking with God because his spirit is actually within you. The spirit that God has given to you as you are born of his spirit. Just listen to a few verses here that reinforce this truth. You don't need to turn to these. I'll just read them quickly for you. Jesus said in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. You get the imagery. Jesus is saying, look, invite me into your heart and I will come and have relationship with you there. I'd li- I want to live in your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, the Holy Spirit wants to move in and take up residence in your life. We see in Ephesians chapter one and verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
This is the Apostle Paul, and he writes, listen, you heard the message about Jesus. You heard that God loved you so much that he sent his son to come and die on the cross for your sins. And having paid the price, he has been resurrected in glory. You heard that message, and when you believed it, something happened. The Holy Spirit came into your life. Not only were your sins forgiven, not only was this door open to relationship with God, but God has kind of invaded your life in the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. He says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealed means that you were stamped by ownership belonging to God. It's the way God has put his mark on you. He is the guarantee of an inheritance. It's as if the Holy Spirit living in your life is kind of the down payment of good things to come. There's more to come, church. There's more good things to come. There's more than just this life that God has promised for us. And the evidence that those things are real is his spirit who has already become real in our life. And and Paul says, look, that's the guarantee. That's the down payment that God has in fact promised these things and will keep promise. The Holy Spirit in you is already something of a reality of the good things to come. Jesus would talk about being born again by the Spirit. Jesus would talk of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in reference to him leading you and guiding you into all truth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will always come to glorify Christ in your life. He doesn't come to glorify you or me or any notion that we have about our life and destiny. No, he comes to glorify Jesus in and through our lives. He comes as a comfort and a help. Aren't you grateful? Aren't there seasons when we really need the the comfort that comes only from God? And the Bible says he is the God of all comfort and he comes and ministers in our hearts, even peace that passes understanding. He is the God that empowers us for ministry. First Corinthians talks about spiritual gifts that are distributed by the Holy Spirit, abilities that God gives men to serve him and to be effective for him. The book of Romans talks quite a bit about this life in the spirit, that we are called to be spiritually minded, which leads us to life and peace. We are gifted by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. How am I going to gain victory over some of those sinful desires? How do I gain self-control and some of the things that I need to even live the life I long to live? By the Spirit of God. He is going to give you grace. You're going to be led and directed by Him. And there is also great assurance that comes to the heart by the Holy Spirit. God wants you to know that you are His child God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that he is with you. And the Holy Spirit is what makes that real. Listen, Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is a great comfort, and this is exactly what John is ministering and getting ready to talk about. That's what he said in 1 John 3, 24. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. What a blessing to have the Spirit of God living in our lives 
as we put our faith and trust in him. Boy, it would be just a dead religion without the spirit of God, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, we know these truths, but oh, to have the the reality of God in my heart and in my life, this is the real blessing for the believer. But John wants us to know something else. That just because we have the Holy Spirit now active in our life, it doesn't mean that every spiritual voice that we may be exposed to is necessarily the Holy Spirit. Listen, you have the Spirit, but you also have to be discerning about spiritual things. Don't imagine, well, every thought that comes into my head now must be the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe not. How many of you found out? Oftentimes not, right? So John is going to give us a little counsel here. Look, you've been blessed by the Spirit, but you also need to be discerning in the Spirit. And he's going to give us a couple of tests, evidence of things that you can know for certain are really the leading of the Spirit of God. Take a look with me, verse 1. He kind of announces this testing of the spirits. Verse chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they, have got, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe every spiritual voice that you hear. Don't believe everyone who claims to be speaking for God. Don't believe everyone who claims to be a prophet of God. Not all are sincerely being motivated by God's Spirit. There are many false prophets. Here's the thing about false prophets. This is the the deceptive part about some false prophets. It's not like everything they say is false. That'd be easy to identify, right? Every time he says something, it's wrong. But no, false prophets have a lot of truth but then they weave in a little deception. And that's why we have to be discerning. That's why John says, you better test. There's some testing that needs to be done. And we want to look at two kind of ways that John gives us to test these spirits. The first test is a doctrinal test. Doctrine simply means teaching. Does the the teaching or the doctrine of a prophet, a minister, a pastor, a, a religion, a faith, a culture, is what they're saying sound compared to what you know to be true concerning Jesus Christ and the revealed word of God, or are there discrepancies? The first test is a doctrinal test. The second test we'll look at here this morning is a fruit test. What's showing up in their lives? What's showing up in your life? That's how you can be certain that it's birthed and born by the Spirit of God. All right, let's take a look at this doctrinal test. Follow with me, verse 2 through 6. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's a way to know, guys. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, He who is not of God does not hear us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A few things John points out to us. Firstly, you're going to know a false or true spirit or prophet or message based on the teaching concerning Jesus Christ. What does this faith, what does this prophet, what does this message say specifically about Jesus? John says you can know the Spirit of God because it will always confess the truth concerning Christ, that Jesus Christ, God, has come in the flesh. God has become a man that he might redeem men from their sins. That is a true testimony concerning Jesus. That's what Jesus said of himself. That's what the Bible says concerning Jesus from cover to cover. And John is saying any other message is not really true. Any other teaching or doctrine about Jesus, you can't rely on that. The Holy Spirit will always lead us into the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, any other idea, John says, is false. Any, any ministry or religion or faith that would maybe claim that Jesus uh, was, a, was, was a good man, a good teacher, definitely a historical figure, but it's not like he was really God. Well, that's not consistent with the testimony of the Bible and what Jesus said of himself. That may be very complimentary of Jesus. And there are some religions that are very high and lofty concerning Jesus. The Muslim faith, they embrace Jesus as a great prophet, but not the Son of God, not God, not Allah. And so they're wrong about Jesus concerning the message of the Bible. There are some obvious ones even within Christian circles. We, we identify some as not really orthodox in their Christian faith. There is the Mormon faith. The Mormon believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh, but he's just one of many gods come in the flesh. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's only one son of God, the one and only. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right? So these are things, the Jehovah's Witness. They believe that Jesus is very lofty in their faith, but he is a created being of God. Well, that's not what John said in his gospel. He was God. He was with God from the beginning. Jesus is God become man. And any faith or any message that, that alters whether he was fully man or fully God is not of the Holy Spirit. In John's day, uh, in our day, we, we, we have people that believe he came as a man, but that he wasn't God. In John's day, there were actually, there was teachings that said, well, um, he was God, but he never really fully, completely became a man. He was just kind of this um, representation, but he never really took on human flesh. And of course, either one of those is incorrect. And so some of these are very obvious. And I think for those that are well-versed in the Bible, um, you can discern these and you can, you can, you know, test them. But I want to suggest that some teachings concerning Jesus are a little more subtle and we have to be discerning. There are those today that, that believe Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, but that he represents only one of many ways to God. 
Well, again, that's not the accurate biblical understanding of Jesus. They're trying to be tolerant of Jesus, but just not exclusive. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And I think even within our kind of, I'll call this the cultural Jesus of America, uh, we are trying to kind of recraft, redesign Jesus more into the image of our own desire and choosing. Listen, there are some uh, churches that preach Christ as this uh, individual who is all about trying to fulfill your dream and destiny in life. And these pastors are more, I've heard one pastor describe them, you know, it's like they're more life coach than they are really preachers of the gospel. It's all about how to fulfill your dream, your destiny. Destiny. What have you always desired for yourself? Jesus is here to help you fulfill and accomplish that. But the Jesus that I know of, the Bible said, no man can come after me unless he denies himself, picks up his cross, and follows me. Jesus is not looking to fulfill my dream and destiny. Jesus is looking to fulfill his dream and destiny through my life as I surrender it and yield it to him. Now again, these are subtle, but we need to be discerning. What about your lifestyle? Are you crafting Jesus to be very tolerant of your particular lifestyle and the way you want to live? And you kind of imagine that Jesus is good with kind of what you've chosen for yourself. After all, he's loving after all, I mean, he, he kind of made me this way with these desires, these ambitions. Surely he's for me. He's with me. Jesus never spoke against certain lifestyles. Jesus never said anything. And we try to recraft this Jesus into an image of our own choosing. And I say, be very careful. We need to remember that Jesus is who he is no matter what we design him to be. It does not change who he is. If you want to know the truth about Jesus, you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to open up the truth of Scripture. You've got to come with an unbiased, an unkind of premeditated what you hope and wish he will be. I want to know who he is. I want to know in truth who Jesus is. Now listen, Jesus did not come to condemn you. Jesus himself said that, I did not come to condemn, but to save. But not only did he not come to condemn, you, you, you need to know this, he didn't, nor did he come to condone. He came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from our own selfish ways and desires. We imagine that fulfilling our self-desires will lead us to some peace and prosperity and, and God is all loving and willing to embrace. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that men have fallen from God, that we are in bondage to sin, that our own way has led us away from God, that we have fallen from his grace, that we stand before him needing forgiveness and mercy and no way to accomplish that within ourselves. But God in his love and in his grace has sent his son that we might be saved from ourselves. Oh God, don't, don't leave me to myself. Oh God, don't fulfill my dream, please. Oh Lord, I've had enough of my way. I want your way in my life. Now I do believe that as we walk with the Lord and as we learn to 
kind of get in step with the Holy Spirit, that God himself will begin to recraft your desires. I don't want to retool Jesus. I want him to retool me. And he will begin to give me the very things that he wants to do. They will become my desires. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will give you the desires of your heart. They will be his desires becoming yours. And then by his grace and his love and his mercy, he begins to fulfill those things. Any doctrine that teaches a different Jesus, John says, be careful. That's not coming from the spirit of God. He also points out to us that the spirit of God working in your life is not going to be well received and and necessarily compatible with the voice, the message, the spirit, the thinking of the world. He says that right there in verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit, spirit of error. Listen, there is a thinking that goes on in the world. The Bible talks about spiritual forces actually manipulating the world's agenda. Men think they're running the show, but really there are spiritual forces at work. And the world's philosophy, listen, the the culture, the age that we're living in, they, they are not listening to the spirit of God concerning Christ. John says, listen, don't, ex- don't anticipate the world to embrace and hear this message. How many of you have discovered, you can say, God bless, and oh, I'm praying for you, you know, Lord be with you. Everybody will receive that. But when you ta- start talking about Jesus Christ and him being the only way to salvation, boy, you watch people bristle up. Who made you so narrow-minded and smart about, you know, don't, don't pray in the name of Jesus, right? It's at the name of Jesus. When we get, when we really bring the truth of the gospel to the light, the world starts backpedaling. Jesus said that's the condemnation of the world. The light came into the world, but the world rejected the light because their deeds were evil. And so you have to understand, John is saying, look at, if, if you're walking and living in the spirit, and God is really working in your life and bringing Christ through your life, don't anticipate the world to be all open ears and embracing. In fact, he says that there is a spirit of error that will resist that. It's not going to be received by the world, but he encourages us that you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he, the devil, who is in and manipulating the world. We don't need to run scared, Christians. We don't need to cower and hide our faith in a place where we just feel like, oh, you know, the world is so dark. The culture is so bad. I mean, we're being, you know, you know not popular in, in the culture anymore. We better just kind of, you know, bunker in. No, the Spirit of God is stronger than any spirit in the world. The devil wants to intimidate you. He's a bully. That's his nature. He, uses, he tries to bully. He tries to intimidate. He tries to silence you down. 
And, it go, and it's prevalent in our culture. Have you noticed this going on in our culture? That, that there is definitely this kind of pigeonholing of the Christians. You guys are so intolerant. You guys are haters. Phobe, you know, phobes, whatever. You're afraid of everything but Jesus. And so this, the culture, the world is kind of coming against. But, but John says, listen, there's somebody greater in you than anything that's in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we go looking for a fight and looking for ways to be, you know, obnoxious. <laughs> but it means that there needs to be a confidence and a peace. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, to some, it's foolishness. And to some, you know, they just won't hear it. But and to some, it's a stumbling block. But for those of us that know him, it's the power of God unto salvation. You walk in faith in Christ. You live the life he calls you to live and know that his spirit is with you. Don't look for being commended by the world. You look for being in step with the spirit. God is with you. These are the tests of doctrine that you can see and know that you are being led by his spirit. Jesus said, look, in the, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. But what? Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. When Jesus sent his disciples out, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Just know that God is still in authority, and Jesus is still the victor, and the one that's in you is greater than any intimidating force. You may get tribulation, you may be persecuted, but God is true, and his spirit will lead you in the truth. Second test that we can see in our text today is the fruit test. Look with me now in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John's talking about this confidence that we have knowing that the spirit of God is within us. And the Spirit of God will produce the proper doctrine, teaching, understanding concerning Christ. And the Spirit of God will bear a certain fruit in the life of those that are living with God. First of all, he tells us that God is love. God's not just loving. He is by nature love. John is saying, listen, if God is in you through the person and ministry of his spirit, then there has to be love. I mean, you can't take God on board who is love and there be no love in your life. By virtue of who he is, when he's in your heart, there's going to be love. Not only his love for you, but his love through you. God is love. There will be this fruit manifesting in your life. The book of Galatians, again, don't turn, let me quote it to you. You know this passage, Galatians 5.22. The fruit 
of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in you, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's interesting, he says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, and then he gives this long list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It seems that these other virtues are all kind of connected with love. Love is where you find joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's the fruit of God's Spirit in your life. Now, you know what a fruit is, right? A fruit is something that shows up on the fruit tree. It's not made in a factory. Fruit is not manufactured. Fruit is birthed and grown on the limbs of a well-watered and well-nurtured tree. And that's the, the, the metaphor here is, listen, when God's spirit is living in your life, Love is going to be the natural byproduct of your close relationship with him. You don't have to manufacture it. You know, fruit trees aren't out there working hard, right? You can't go buy uh, an orchard and hear them all groaning to produce the fruit, right? It just shows up. It manifests. It takes time. They have to be tended to. They're cared for. But that's the Holy Spirit's work in you and me. You don't need to try harder to love. You need to abide more closely to the Spirit of God who will produce love as a fruit in your life. John says, that's the test. How can I know that the Spirit of God is active in my life? Well, is there any fruit on your limbs? How can I be sure that's an orange tree? Well, go check it out in season. Is there love? Because that's the evidence that, in fact, you are demonstrating the work of His Spirit, that you might uh, have love in your life. He says something very beautiful, that not only is this love of God in you, but God has also demonstrated this love for you. He says, in this, the love of God was manifested. The word manifested simply means shown, demonstrated, offered as clear evidence toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He wants us to live. He wants us to live the life of having God active in relationship with us. He wants us to live the life he always desired for us in relationship with God who loves us. That we might live through him. And he says, look, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's not like we found God in our search for love. It's not that even our loving God is some big kind of, uh, you know, sacrifice on our part. I mean, after all, God is so lovable. Of course you love him. Who wouldn't? That's not the miracle that you loved God. The miracle is that he loved you is that he loved you so much. The Bible talks about this in a number of places, even while you were a sinner, even when you were his enemy, even when you weren't lovable, he still loved you. Because God's not looking for any virtue in you. All of the love is coming from him. He's the initiator. He's the pursuer. He's the one that wants you. 
Oh, but I'm so unwantable. True. (laughs) But He still wants you. He still loves you. He still cares about you so much that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for your sins. It's kind of a, a big word, propitiation. It's a theological term. Oh, yes, He is the propitiation for our sin. What's it mean? It simply means that Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice for your sin. God in his holiness and in his righteousness needed the the violation of sinners to be appeased and satisfied. There had to be justice in a just and holy God. And Jesus became the satisfaction for God's righteousness embrace of you and I. God does not have to compromise to love you and forgive you and embrace you. God doesn't have to kind of, well, let's just kind of pretend that that never happened. I'm just going to wink at it, you know, like Santa Claus. I mean, you're more good than bad. You're, come on. Gee, God does not compromise his integrity, his holiness, his, his, his righteousness. He is able to embrace you because Jesus satisfied his righteousness. His sacrifice became the propitiation for your sin. You are forgiven because the payment for your sin was made in full by Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to partake of communion. That's what we celebrate every time we come to this table, to remember that Jesus paid the price for my sin. He took it upon himself The Bible says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, the perfect one, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. You can understand why John says, look, it's not that you loved him. This is love that he loved you. And he did so in such a way that he came and died for you on the cross of Calvary. He became sin for me that I might be the righteousness of God. I can come confidently today before God. Why? Because I'm such a great guy? (laughs) No. I mean, okay, maybe I am a pretty good guy. No. (laughs) Listen, we are all standing on a level ground at the cross of Jesus. there, There can be no judgment or comparing. We're all just sinners. Listen, I don't care who you are, what you've done. Hmm. I don't care what you're into. I don't care what your lifestyle is or what your temptations are, what your secret uh, sins and troubles are. I don't care who you are. You and me, we're just sinners. We're just sinners who need the love and mercy that God has provided for us in Jesus. He's not keeping score There's only one score that matters. Do you believe? Do you believe that I love you? Will you turn from the way that you're living and allow me to cleanse you, to forgive you, and to move into your life, to take up residence? I'm knocking at the door. Will you open up? I want to come in and set up table in your life. My spirit will begin to change you. We'll begin to walk together in a relationship that is built on love, not guilt, not religious duty, or you know, trying to earn something before him. No, no, just love. I love you so much. That love will change you. 
You'll serve him not because you're trying to earn something from him. You'll serve him because he loves you. And that love will respond in your heart as you open up to him. Finally, this fruit of love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Think about that phrase. If God so loved us. Since God has so loved you, don't you think you ought to love one another? And, and how should we love? Well, I think we should love in the same way that we've been loved. Don't you? That's the, I think that's the idea here in verse 11. If God so loved you, if he loved you this way, this is the way you should love one another. And he loved me even though I wasn't all that lovable. He still loves me. He's merciful to me. He's patient with me. How about you? Oh, how many times has the Lord just continued to forgive and continue to love and continue to invest in my life? This is the love that we need to have for one another, not keeping score, not holding, you know, revenge, not, you know, doling it out. God has lavished his love upon us. This is the way we need to love one another with the God kind of love. We need to love the way he loved. The word in the Greek is agape. The Greek language is beautiful in that it it really gives some descriptive terms for love. We don't have the same definitions in the English language. We have this one word, love. And we use it for all kinds of description, right? I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love, you know, sports. I mean... Hopefully I have different levels of love for all those things, but I love them all. How about you, you know? So we don't have the descriptive words, but in the Greek, there is more description in their words that they use for love. There is the eros describing this passionate love, this desire, intimacy, and even sexual desire. That love, right? Some people think they're in love, but really they're just in eros, And boy, I really eros you. I really have strong feelings towards you. I'll bet you do. Slow down. Back off. (laughs) Right? There is another word called phileo. Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It's the idea of friendship. Right? It's the idea of I love you because, gosh, we just get along so well. I feel so good when I'm around you. You know, I I just like, I love you. I love hanging around with you. We have a great relationship. And it's kind of this mutual kind of satisfaction, you know, but still a bit of selfishness. I love you because the way you make me feel when I'm around you, the kind of good friend that you are. And then there's the God kind of love, and it's called agape. And it is a love that is completely selfless. It is a love that is completely giving. It is a love that does not look for any merit or reason to love. It is a love that flows from the lover, has nothing to do with the lovey. And the lovey, you and I, our only part is to receive it, is to open our heart up and to believe that he could love me this way and to receive it by faith, agape. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long. Agape suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. 
It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, agape, never fails. That's the love that God has so loved you and me with. And John says, listen, beloved and beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths today that really give us a way to discern and test spiritual life. We can test it, Lord, by the truth of its message. We can test spiritual things by the fruit of love. God, I pray that you would help us to be discerning, help us to be committed to receiving and embracing this kind of love. And as your heads are bowed today, we're going to partake of communion. And just before we do, I'm going to give give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And it may be that you are here today and you do not have this kind of loving relationship with God. You've never received this agape love that God has for you. You've heard about Jesus. You know something of the gospel, but you have never personally embraced it. You've never really come and said, God, I've, 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 I know something about Jesus. I've heard, but today I'm hearing about the true Jesus as revealed to me in the scripture, as confirmed in my heart by your spirit. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I want to receive that by faith today and be forgiven of my sins. I want to turn from living my own way. I want you to move into my heart and lead me by your spirit. I want to go your way. Will you have me? God, I want to receive that love. If that's your heart today, before we take communion, I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you need to receive Christ, Would you just stand where you're seated? I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll celebrate communion together. You're here today, and you need this prayer. You want to receive Christ and his love for you, maybe for the first time. I'm just going to give a moment. Stand if you want this love in your life, and you know that you need to receive him. God bless you. Anyone else, the Lord speaking to you today and you need, you need Christ. I'm going to pray for this one heart just a moment. There's another one there in the middle. God bless you. Anyone else, the Lord is speaking to you. I know it's bold to stand. There's probably some of you, you know, you need to stand, but you don't want to stand. But listen, don't be ashamed of coming to Jesus. 
Don't hold back. This is your moment. If you need Jesus, it doesn't matter who's here. It doesn't matter who's with you, who's not with you. If you need Jesus, stand. It's between you and him. He loves you. He wants to meet you right now. Anyone else? Bless you. Amen. So we've got about four standing. Anyone else you need to stand to receive Jesus? Before I pray for these, I'm going to give another opportunity. There may be others that need to stand with you. A little different response, but we'll, we'll cover it all in prayer. I also want to pray for those today that need to recommit their life to Jesus. Based on what we looked at here today, maybe the Lord spoke to you something like this. Lord, I'm not really living the life led by the Spirit. I received you. I I believe in you. I I know that I I had a, a salvation experience, but God... I've drifted. I'm not where I need to be. My life is not what I know you're calling me to be. I'm not living the life and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living selfishly. I'm away from you. God, I need to come back right now today. I want to recommit. I want to rededicate my life to you. If that describes your heart, I'm going to ask you to stand with these that are standing. Anyone else, you need to stand for rededication. Now's the time. Bless you. Several more. Amen. I'm going to pray. Anybody else? You need to stand. This is your moment. Take a step of faith. Stand before Jesus. Amen. I see a hand. Not everyone can stand. If you can't stand, raise your hand high. So, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, God, I just want to celebrate with them. I know it's a, it's a tense moment. I know that it's a brave thing to stand. But, Lord, as the Scripture says, it's not that we loved you. It's that you loved us. These hearts standing today, Lord, they're standing to receive your great love for them. They're standing, Lord, and confessing before you, Jesus, I want to turn from going it my own way. And I need to surrender and yield my life to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe that you love me. I believe that you came and died on that cross for me and that you have been raised from the dead and are now looking to lead my life by your spirit. You're knocking at the door of my heart. Jesus, I'm opening, opening it wide today. And saying, forgive me and come into my life and cause me to be the new person led by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.